We thank you for Jesus, our propitiation and our expiation, the one who removed sin, appeased your wrath, Father, who guzzled the cup of wrath like it was nothing, and the one who removes the grief of sin, the, the, the shame of sin, the self-sacrifice of sin because he did it all. Lord God, we praise you for the gifts that we've given today. May they be used for your honor and for your glory. And Lord God, may we zoom in as we continue in these last weeks in introspection. As we look at what it's going to mean to not point the finger at where others need to grow and where others need to develop, but where we need it. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord God, my strength and my redeemer, in whom I place every single drop of my trust in. Everybody agree with that said? Amen, amen, amen. We're back in the introspection series, and we, we have one more uh, section after this, and we're in the book of Jonah. What we're going to talk about today is kind of a, it's been a continuation, but especially a continuation from last time we chopped it up. One of the things that's, that's, that's mad important is, is, is I'm finding, as you, y'all know, I am a cultural geek as well as a Bible geek. I am a nerd of the scriptures, but I'm also a nerd of what's going on in the world so that we will know how to engage people with the scriptures. And one of the things that, that I've noticed as, I, as I've just done uh, generational demographic studies, y'all know that's one of my favorite pastimes, and, and one of the things that I've noticed is the generation 45 and under value authenticity. It, it's, it's interesting. Um, it, this generation doesn't value scientific information per se, scientific and mere intellectual argumentation. But this generation values authenticity. And somebody says, well, we've all in our generations valued authenticity. Well, I, I think it's a little bit different in this generation because I think authenticity is the way to credibility in this culture. Authenticity is the way to, uh, to, 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 to relevance and connectivity in this culture. And so we as the church have to always be careful of trying to be unredemptively authentic. What I mean by that is Authenticity is great as long as it's submittable to the Lord Jesus Christ. But this world values an authenticity that is unredemptive. In other words, it looks like not valuing God's means or God's philosophy of what authenticity means. Authenticity in its, in its bedrock ideal means to be real and honest about yourself and the way things are. And, and, that, and that's been one of the struggles that people have had with the church, is inauthenticity. Inauthenticity. People's greatest struggle with the church is not the building. The, 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 um, people struggle with the church, and, and us, and even other Christians, is, 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 not, is not what kind of gear we got on. I think the, in, the, the frustration comes with hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, biblically, means to act. In other words... To portray something on the outside, but be practically somewhere else on the inside. 
So you portray and you spit truth with your, with your to tooths and your, te your, 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 your lips, but, but inside of your soul, your heart is someplace else because you're not really practicing what you... And so that's what their issue has been, not with one person, but us all as the universal church. And, but I do think that there's, there's some keys to authenticity that I think we need to understand about realness. We're not unredemptively real. In other words, we don't, we're not real about our passions without God defining our passions. I hope y'all still with me. And so what's very, very important about authenticity it, 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 from a biblical standpoint is it doesn't mean being perfect. See, authenticity doesn't, and I think many of us as Christians, the reason why we become hypocrites, all of us have hypocrisy in us. I don't know if you're sitting here and think you don't. You got some. And, um, and, and, and in, the, in the sphere of that off, lack of authenticity always begins when you're not honest with where God is and where you are. In other words, you give yourself credit for being someplace spiritually in your mind because of information because your life isn't really practically there and you still promote it as if you're sinless in that particular area that's called hypocrisy but there was a great means of grace say means of grace means of grace are non-meritorious tools that God has given the Christian to experience the fullness of his grace and the one I want to talk about today, last time we talked about uh, counterfeit repentance. And today I want to spend some time, I want us to talk about authentic repentance. Can you say that? Say it again. Yeah, that's a curse word to many. Very few people think through and talk about what repentance is. You can hear the word repent, I confess with my mouth, Jesus Lord, and believe in my heart. But when you just use that verse without an understanding of biblical repentance, you, you miss the umbrella that confession fits under. And we're going to talk about all of that. And the center of authenticity for us is repentance. Regular repentance. This is where religion and rituals end and authentic relationship begins. And, and so as we get into the book of Jonah, last time we saw him front. Everybody usually makes a beeline to him and the fish getting swallowed by the fish. But if you remember from last time, when he prayed, he prayed a very self-righteous, subversive, and, 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 and very... Uh, 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 um, uh, arrogant prayer. And so what God did was he made an Oreo sandwich here. When you look at chapter 1, he had the sailors properly repenting. When you look at this section, you're going to see the Ninevites properly repenting. But sandwiched in the middle is the prophet of God not properly repenting. And the prophet of God is representative of all of us who claim that we're in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ but we have the, the information of the Christian life, but not the transformation that comes from the Christian life. And so by way of depth and clarity, let's give a basic understanding. Well, let's talk about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's give a basic understanding of repentance. Repentance in its fundamental meaning means to turn. Repentance defined means 
literally to change one mind, not just individual plans or intentions or beliefs, but rather a change in a whole personality from a sinful course of action to God. Do y'all hear me? Turning from where you are and turning to God. Not turning to anyone, any place, or anything else. Because many of us, like we talked about in counterfeit repentance, think because we stopped doing a specific sin that we've repented, but really you've just changed sin partners. You doty doed with this sin, you confessed it, and then, you, and then this other sin say, man, I cut in, and then you start waltzing, you know, and boogie down productions with another sin. And so what God wants from us is turning to him. I hope you get that. To him. No one else. To him. Not turning to the church. Because you can come to church and still not change. To him. Turning, not just spending time with your mate. To him. Not just getting in community with other believers. To him. Because sometimes you can utilize true, authentic forms of God, but you still haven't turned to God. And so this is, this is the sequanon of the Christian faith. You cannot even become a Christian unless you repent. You could say the sinner's prayer. But if you haven't repented, true salvation has not taken place. It got real quiet on that one. You cannot grow spiritually as a Christian without repentance. Without repentance, you will be stuck in a stage of stagnance. And God is demanding more than just lip service, more than just acts of quote-unquote physical righteousness. God is demanding that we turn and admit and stop fronting on him and turn to him. And so let's look at repentance. It says, here, I like, I like the way my man put it, Hokama. He said, repentance is, he said, repentance may be defined as a conscious turning away from sin towards God and a complete change of living, which reveals itself in a new way of thinking, feeling, and willing. That means your will. Literally, of course, it means a change of mind and of plans. And so what we're talking about in this ideal of repentance is that it is a turning. And you're going to hear that all the way through this passage. And we're going to walk through a really interesting understanding of repentance. But before we dive into this text, one more thing by way of intro. Key avoidances of repentance. Let's talk about that real quick. What are ways in which people avoid repenting? Okay. Number one, you blame others. It was the woman you gave me. God, if you would have, then I wouldn't have. Blaming others. Conf you confess with footnotes. In other words, well, it was, I, I'm, I'm sorry for boom, 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 boom. But let me tell you about how you kind of, you know, let me tell you your role in this. That's not 
repentance. If you got a foot, if you got anything but you as the center of the reason why you sinned, then you are not repenting. Let me say that again. Y'all didn't catch that. If anybody else gets credit for your sin, then you haven't repented. If anybody's account is assessed in the midst of your quote-unquote confession, it is not repentance. In other words, another, number four, you don't give a clear picture of your role in sin. In other words, you tuck details under the rug so that the perception of you won't change. Because you're still concerned about you, not concerned about turning to him. People don't feel like you are teachable or receptive to being challenged. In other words, you know you're not a repenting person that when everybody, somebody comes up to you and brings something to your attention, your facial expression changes. You begin to think of all the things that they've ever did and your eyebrow raises. In other, in other words, it, it, you're, it, coming to you and be, you say, I want accountability. I want community. I want relationship. But as soon as somebody that God has placed in your life calls you to the carpet, you have all type of pleas that you're copping. That means you are not a repentant personality. You make statements like this if you're not a repent. You, these, are, these are avoidances. We all got issues. Just, 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 just pray for me. Another one is, I, I, need, I need more time. Another one is, if I could only blank. Another one is, you don't know how I grew up. My situation is a little different than other people's. You don't know what I've had to go through. In other words, you have every excuse in the world instead of taking responsibility for your role. And one of the things we're going to see in this passage as we turn to Jonah 3, I'm going to read it, then we're going to go back into it and go line by line. I only got one point today, one point, one point, repent. That, that's the point of the sermon today. So you can stop, you can take notes if you want to, but that, that's, one, that's the point, repent. On sermon on repentance, you ain't got to have long three, three points, repent. Jonah 3, interesting layout of this, it's masterfully put together. Verse 1, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation published through Nineveh. 
by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Wow. Powerful. Powerful powerful. In this passage, you see Jonah, of course, had ran from God, and now Jonah has been dropped off to the place where he dreaded the most. Of course, you all remember by way of background that the Ninevites were the most gifted at torturing. The, 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 the Taliban and all them cats, bin, bin Laden, and all, don't have anything on the gifted abilities of these cats to torture. And so your man, your man Jonah was like, yo, I've seen uh, hieroglyphs of their torture uh, abilities. And I'm not, I, I, I don't, I'm not feeling them. I hate them. Matter of fact, I'm, I don't even want your word to get to them. And so God, of course, drops your man off to make him be obedient um, to his word after he had had an external form of repentance. And even though he got dropped off, Jonah probably believes that he authentically repented or that he, he had an authentic prayer to God that was a, a, a great prayer to God. Uh, uh, but, but, but what's interesting in this passage is, is Jonah's object lesson still didn't end. God is trying to teach Jonah an in-depth lesson, not about the Ninevites, but about him. See, you have to be able to learn from God without talking about who else needs to hear what God told you. <laughs> See, many times we'll hear a message, boy, I wish JoJo was here today. Boy, JoJo should have heard the sermon from God, Platt out. yeah, he should have heard it. I don't need to hear that. I'm, I'm there already. I got it down. That is a horrible place to be. Even if God has given you a sense of victory in any area of your life, be careful of acting like you got the tool fully fitted on your belt because you are making yourself an object of arrogance and because you're an object of arrogance, God has to schedule a storm for you like he did your boy Jonah. And so it says that God told Jonah, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out Against it. Now, it's interesting here because in this passage, against is, is not a, a, a better translation of a preposition for that passage. The Hebrew there, more, 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 more effort, more, a better emphasis of it is call out to it. See, when you say call out against, and I'll talk about conditional and unconditional decrees later. We're going we're gonna to dive a little deep because you've got to understand the, the person of God to be able to understand the practices of God and the practices of our life. 
And, and so here, when he's, it's, it, 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 the, the better translation is call out to. That means that God is making a proclamation. If you say pro- call out against, that means that no matter what the response of human beings is, God is going to make that thing happen. That's called a conditional decree. Say conditional, uh, uh, I mean uh, unconditional decree. Say unconditional decree. But if he says call out to it, that means that God is announcing information and making it available to give you an opportunity to respond to him. Do you know God does all types of things to love you? He loves you so much that he won't just bring a hammer on your behind. Do you know God is so loving, so gracious in withholding his own wrath that he will booby trap your life with commercials of what could happen to you if you don't repent. Yeah, he'll show you what happened to somebody else. He'll show you a commercial on TV. He'll show you a movie. He'll bring somebody your way. When you're about to do some dirt, the phone will ring. God is so loving that he will do whatever he can for his people and for those who he's bringing into relationship with himself to, 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 to proclaim to you something to stop you from getting away from him. And so that's what he's doing here today. He's giving Nineveh a warning. They're steep in wickedness. They're steep in idolatry. They're steep in hatred. They're, they're steep in war. They're steep in, 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 in beating people. Down. They're, they're steep in sexual immorality. They're comprehensively steep in wickedness. And the God who is beefy in love laces them with a message. And he says, proclaim to it. And it's crazy. This was a 911 proclamation. This wasn't merely a 411 proclamation. 411 means just for your information. 911 says, you got a few minutes. And so when he says, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out to it a message that I will tell you. He says, he says, call out to it the message that I'll tell you. Do you see? He says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown, and the people of Nineveh believe God. Crazy. Crazy. Now, you got to understand, when it talks about three days' journey, because um, I, be- I believe that Nineveh is about 60 miles in, in, in diameter, even regionally, it would not have taken three days to go out through all of the um, Assyrian, the, when Nineveh was the capital, it wouldn't have taken three days to go through the region. What it is, is in that time period, when you go to a city, this is not a village. You're not like going into the village talking to some people. This is a fortified city with walls and dudes. Like it would be the equivalent of going to a third world country and seeing cats with AK-47s and fittings turned backwards on the top of the, Like you come to the edge of the city, cats like, what you want? You know what I'm saying? You're trying to roll up in the city. Cats got AK-47s, dragging off sniper rifles, MAC-10s, and AK-47s and M-16s. And they stand in guard, and you ain't just going to walk into where they guard like you're gonna be like what's up man how you feeling and you're gonna get shot down amen and so and so and so what we have here is an old testament equivalent of that where cats got shields spears dudes all rocked up at the at the wall you know what i'm saying shirts all off greasy and dirty you know just standing there like what you know what i'm saying i mean hood mugs around here ain't got nothing on these cats in nineveh so what i'm saying is is that when he walked up in there's a certain level 
of respect and protocol that every city has. Every city has elders, they have guards. And so what it meant a three days journey is in order to get the proclamation to the king, there is a process of doing that. And so Jonah goes into the city because you got to get the word that you're going to say approved through the city before it'll reach the king. And then they'll usher you through the process and you go through all of the protocols, the nobles and everything. Then you get to see, you ain't going to just walk up in there and see the king. It just ain't going to happen. Only reason Moses was able to see a king is because he knew the king. All right. And so, and so, and so here, when it says three days, this is, this is beautiful. So Jonah goes in. I don't know what he looked like after he got off the fish. I don't know if he said, can I take a shower? You know, I mean, I don't know if he got, you know, if, if he got vomit all on him, you know, other stuff the fish has swallowed all on him. You know, your man, I mean, your man, I mean, he stinks, probably, smells like old fish and stomach. And so Jonah is bitter. First off, God, I'm even more bitter because you put me through all of this to talk to these people, all right? And so your man walk up in the city, and I don't know whether they thought he was homeless. I don't know if he cleaned up, but he goes in, and he begins to proclaim on the first tier of the journey, which the Bible says he didn't get to three days' journey into Nineveh. Some people saw this as disobedience, but that's, this is not disobedience of Jonah. Actually, Jonah is being obedient in, on some level. The people responded in a day. Do y'all get that? When he went in and proclaimed, yo, y'all, um, a god, you know, one of the gods is about to wreck shop 40 days. It's a wrap for the city. Grace and peace. You know, Cass was like, yo, man, he's he not from here. You know, how did he get here? Ain't no boats out there. Like, how does do? Oh, snap. He just, he just got teleported like on Star Trek from wherever he was to the shore of our city. Yo, we better stop tripping. And so word starts spreading. They didn't have text messaging back then. Oh, yo, yo God is about to destroy. Like they weren't text messaging, emailing. You, you know, they had dudes hooty hoo hollering real loud. You know what I'm saying? Making noise throughout the city, blowing trumpets, horns, warnings, cats running. You know, it ain't no, it ain't what we got. We ain't got cell phones, none of that. So you got to understand. When he told the first group of people, a ripple effect started. Has anyone, God, ever brought something to you in your life? And you responded quickly when you got rebuked. Or did you harden your heart? See, a repentant person does not harden their heart. Even if you think you're innocent, a godly person would consider what's being brought against them. They would seek their hearts, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm a lo- I, I know I can be blind, I know I can be unbroken. Lord, show me if I'm tripping in any area of my life. But if you already talking about something, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's a word for me, but my man here, you know what I'm saying, he's in need of some assistance spiritually in his life. No, no, it's you and I who are in need of this. And so you see the beauty of God showing, showing your man Jonah Their response when they first heard the word, they heard a statement. They didn't hear the Pentateuch. They didn't hear Genesis. They didn't hear Exodus. They didn't hear Leviticus. They heard a statement. God is going to shut it down. 
cat star wicked eye. In other words, God is giving Jonah an object lesson for him being a prophet, having all of this word in him, all of this information, all of this theology, all of this experience. All, and, 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 and he can't even utilize all that information to break his heart, rip his garments, and respond to God. Yes, biblical information is important. But your soul should be sensitive. It should be on pins and needles. If, if you, should be, you should be sensitive enough, God, is that me? Is that me? Show me, God. I don't want to point to my wife. I don't want to point to my husband. I don't want to point to my friends. I don't want to point to my friend. Lord, point to me. And, 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 and Nineveh, they respond quickly. Powerful, powerful principle. I pray that God makes us sensitive-hearted. Not soft-sensitive, biblically-sensitive. Not soft-sensitive, biblically-sensitive. To opening our hearts, not to being, not being on pins and needles about just us in general, but the fact that God could be saying something to me about an area of my life that I need to change in. Because I'm telling you, right now, if you don't repent, then what happens is, is that there's a caking that goes over and then you are given another opportunity. Then another layer is developed. You're given another opportunity to repent. Another a layer gets on. You give another, and then all of a sudden, then God just has to crack you with a sledgehammer over your head. And when God loves you, when he's in a relationship with you, family, he will do whatever it is he has to do. But I want to be soul sensitive. Say soul sensitive. I'm not talking about listening to soul music, Marvin Gaye and, you know, the, the, the whispers and everybody. I'm talking about being biblically soul sensitive. Your insides are open to God. That, that means living in a constant state of brokenness. Un undeniably open. I want, I want if anybody ever say, I can't say, well, I'm the pastor. You can't tell me nothing. You can't say anything to me. You're supposed to be the flock. If, if some, I, I believe that if God ever, y'all saw something in me, y'all speak it to me and say to me, yo, pastor, I, you know, I just want to boom. I, I want us as a flock to have a sensitivity to just stop saying, stop thinking that people are judging us. Right. You see, you're judging me. You don't even know me like that. God will use people that don't know you like that to speak a word to you. A biblical word, not just some old off outlandish prophetic word that ain't got nothing to do with the Bible. I'm talking about what has to do with the Bible. And so you have to be soul sensitive. And so, and so what, what's interesting is, is that it got to them quickly, and it says, and they believed God. That's beautiful. Because what's interesting is that they didn't believe Jonah. See, see, some of y'all don't believe people. I know you don't believe people, but the question is, is when God has said something, do you believe him? The same statement of them believing God is the same statement that Abraham, that said of Abraham, and Abraham believed. Yeah, you need to believe. In other words, they placed their confidence in the one who gave the message, not the messenger. Oh, man. Oh, man. So I'm not, it's, it's not my, my issue's not with the messenger. See, 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 some, some of us are so raggedy with ours, we get wrapped up in who said it to us. But the question is, who's really saying it to us? 
And listen, and it's beautiful when you know that it's God. And, and, and I know people have to have character. I'm not, I'm not saying people can just live a raggedy life and get, say anything to you. But there's a sense in which you're sensitive to the fact, God, maybe you're talking to me for real, for real. So it says that the Ninevites believe God. Crazy gospel-centered understanding of this thing right up in the text. It says, and they called for a fast. That's crazy. They got scared because God was going to wreck shop. And they called a fast without any, they just said, hey, y'all, let's shut, shut your businesses down. So you see all the businesses closing. Dudes putting their pigeons away, you know, putting cattle and gates and carrying on. You know what I'm saying? Uh, spot shutting down. You know how we do in Philly. You know, they got the metal thing. They click, 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 click. Then you put the lock on the bottom of the joint. You know what I'm saying? That, that's, what we, that's how we do. I mean, stuff, they, they, they had a holiday because hell was coming. <laughs> And, and they shut it down to turn their attention towards the one who had a word against them. They believed him, and then they turned towards him. It said, help, help us out. They fast. They, it, it, it says, and they fasted and put on sackcloth and ashes, and which, which, is a, which is a point of and a position of practical humility and humiliation. What they would do is when they would put on sackcloth and they would, they would sprinkle ashes and dirt up in the air like this. they throw it up in the air. You know, I know some of us think we'd get ringworms and we'd let the dirt, but they were sprinkling it up in the air as a sign of their filth and where they were and their humiliation and their need for someone beyond where they are. Even though they had a religious understanding. Every, a lot of religions did this back then, but they did it not towards some other God, but the God who proclaimed this. And so you see there that they, and it says from the greatest to the smallest, it was cross-economic and cross-generational. <laughs> it was cross, people with loot was repenting. Cat was in his Armani with the, with the, with the, with the you know, the joint back here, the, the flaps on the suit, you know what I'm saying? His gaiters and his ostriches, he pulled off his ostrich skins, you know what I'm saying? Pulled off his see-through socks. And, and unbuttoned his tie and buttoned that and had his white beater on, put on some sackcloth. It's hot in the mug outside because there's a desperation. Poor people, right beside rich people. And then I said, well, you're not supposed to. No, it was, they were so concerned with God that they didn't even care what, econ what your economic status was. It was cross-generational. Young folk don't do that. Your old people, they all, it wasn't none of that. Because when God puts a contract out on you and he about to bring some stuff after you, you don't care. You're like, listen, I, I don't know if you ever had a warrant out for your arrest for real. You know how when they looking for a dude on TV and he's staying at dude's basements and stuff. See, you can't do that with God. When God is after you, you can go in the basement with the flat screen and your boy's basement and smoke weed if you want to. But God knows where you are, and he will come get you. He will mess up the house to come get you. He will mess up the bills to come get you. He will, he, in other words, he'll have somebody do something stupid, like the world's dumbest criminals, and find out where you are. Somebody going to snitch on you. But listen, God will find you. And so what's beautiful about, about this text is you see their submission. Now, crazy, look at, look at what happens next. It's beautiful. It says, it says, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. This is crazy. Look at the parallel here. 
said he arose from his throne, removed his robe. Now, underline arose, underline throne, and underline removed, and underline robe. Covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Underline the word covered, underline sat. He used to sit on a throne with a robe on. But he took off the symbol of his authority, got up off the symbol of his authority, said, I don't care about that right now. Lay ashes out. He sat in ashes. Ashes was his new throne and sackcloth was his new robe because he needed God. Because God, when you need God, formality doesn't matter. Saying your title, where you from, what block you from, what neighborhood you from, what degree, it don't matter. Because when you need God, everything is laid bare. You're like, ah, I'm undone. I'm a man or a woman of unclean lips among unclean people. Have you ever been there in your Christian life? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Were you willing to take it all off for him? Don't do that right now, but I'm just saying <laughs> that you're willing to shut everything that gives you safety down. One of the biggest points to repentance is you got to get rid of all of your safety nets. All of them. All of them. All of them. If you really want to repent, you make your life unsafe because there's only one safe place in the world. The repentant person doesn't front anymore. I'm, I'm just being straight up, man. I've been, I've been wilding. Man, I've been wilding. I've been wilding for a minute, man. I need some, you, I mean, you talking to, you, you talk, you're ready to talk to a stranger about it because you're so broken before God. Your heart is so rend. Your soul is so handicapped. You're in desperate need of a work of the cross in your soul. You're, 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 you're passionate for a work of Jesus, a work of the Holy Ghost in your life. I know this ain't stand up, run around the church preaching, but it'll help you better than that will. Yeah. And, so, and so what's beautiful is the king willingly humiliates himself. Can you imagine if a president of the United States on television was sitting in the Oval Office during the State of the Church, State of the, State of the uh, Union address, and he says, friends, I know this is not a Christian country, but I'm going to lead out. We have sinned. He starts taking off his tie, throw it to the Secret Service. Secret Service agent, like, what, what, what you doing? He starts unbuttoning his jacket. He says, I'm not going to get, you know, but uh -uh. he said, hand me some new pants. He goes and put on some sweatpants. And, and he sits down and gets before God, before all the nation, and tell them not only, he said, not you, but we. <laughs> not y'all, but we. That's the equivalent of this. The king of the known ruling world submitted himself and took off the... He has the highest position in the world during this period. And he's willing to... He says, there won't be anything existing if I don't... Like, I can act like I'm, I can front and stay on my throne if I want to. But if God is going to destroy, there won't be a throne or no robe. Matter of fact, it won't be no me. And, and repentance is not just about saving your life. That's called counterfeit repentance. <laughs> repentance at the center of it 
is about restoring community with the triune God. Because you can be a Christian and you have a relationship with God based on John 17, 3. But based on 1 John chapter 1, you can be practically out of fellowship with God even though you're fellowshipping with his people. Matter of fact, practical fellowship is not possible until biblical repentance happens in our life. We can go to Philly Flavors. We can go to Bennigan's. We can go to Philly Diner. We can go to Qdoba. Matter of fact, we can go to we can go to Wendy. But if we don't have it right with God, we're not really in community. <laughs> and so this dude was willing, was willing, was willing to say, yo, it's done for me. And he sat in sackcloth and ashes. I'm going to be on my nose. But he, and then he says here, it says, and he issued a proclamation and published. That is so funny to me. He published a journal. You see, back then, you know, they, you know how we had the dudes handing out um, newspapers on the corner and stuff? They handed out, they, they printed stuff up. Boom, 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 boom. They handed out a proclamation. I don't know if it was like the Flintstones, you know, where Flintstones had to do that, put a slab of a, a rock and then had to do ta da 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 and tap it as you talk. I don't know what it was. But all I know is that they put, whether it was on papyri, I don't know if it was on stone, but he sent, he published a document that went out throughout the entire nation calling it to repentance. And he says, I'm not telling you to do what I'm not doing. I'm doing it. I'm calling everybody to it. It's powerful. It's powerful, 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 powerful. Then he goes down and it says, it says, by the decree of the king and, the, and his nobles, let, every, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. They made the animals fast. They took the animals out, grass, you know what I'm saying, can't be in, they took them, I put them on dirt, laid sack off over them, cows mooing, still trying to find something to chew on, they frustrated, they stink, and they went, and then he says, let them not feed or drink water, Rem fast, he says, but when you fast, fast is not a way to twist God's arm, it's giving up a, 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 a need of the flesh for a greater need of the spirit. Fasting is giving up a basic fundamental need of the flesh for a greater need in the spirit so that you can starve your body to get what your soul needs. Somebody ought to hear me today. Then he goes down and he says, he says, but let beasts be covered in, with sackcloth and let them call out mightily on God. He says, this is not, oh God, we bless you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, like, it ain't none of that. Reading prayers and carrying on. Cats were wigging out. Cast was like, hey, I, I just found out who you are, man. I don't even know who you are, but, but I'm tripping. I know I'm tripping. Help us. Please don't bring destruction. I repent. I, it, it was a desperation. When the Bible they said just call on the, when the Bible says call mightily, that's a whole nother level. You know when it says the spirit of God came on them, but then it'll say, and the spirit of God came mightily. Mighty is different than just the regular. M call mightily. And can you imagine a city of people? Little kids, toddlers, to old heads, elders, to the king, everybody at the same time. This ain't when we asked, did we have prayer meeting that night? And we said, people come in to prayer meeting, somebody pray. And it'd be like five minutes. It wasn't none of that. Everybody just, as soon as they heard it, start ripping stuff. Everybody, head looking to heaven, everybody at the same time, simultaneously repenting. 
Can you imagine the sight of a city? Can you imagine in Philly, everybody just went outside right now, right into the streets. It wasn't no Mardi Gras, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't an all-star game, it wasn't a block party, but it was because the city needs God, and they found out that they need him, and everybody get out of the streets. Can you imagine what the sound? I wonder could New York hear us. I wonder could D.C. hear us. I wonder could Canada hear us. I wonder could, I, I wonder could, in other words, we need him. And so, and so they turn to him. It says, let everyone turn away from his evil way. And from the violence that is in his hands. It's not saying, in other words, everybody in the city, this was a city, like they call, you know, say, y'all supposed to be city of brotherly love, y'all the city of brotherly shove, you know what I'm saying? I, oh, that's so tired and it's old, but stop, stop doing that. But anyway. What's interesting here is they were a violent people. They were just violent. It wouldn't be anything to see two dudes just knuckling it up, wah, wah, just on the corner, and you know people just walk past, yeah, man. So you know, and cats walking past. I mean, it was a violent city, and so the king calls. He says, "I want you to remove the violence that's in your hands." In other words, the comprehensive lifestyle of going opposite the way God wants you to go. And he says, and then listen to this. He says. Who knows? He doesn't even know the character of God. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that he, we may not perish. Interesting. Interesting here. You know, the Bible says God doesn't repent, change his mind, that type of thing. Well, well, what we're talking about here is there's an unconditional decree and there's a conditional decree. You need to know this about God, so keep paying attention. You need to know your God. If you, try, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you need to get to know God. You shouldn't yawn when it's time to know about God. Okay, conditional, unconditional decrees. There are unconditional decrees that God decrees, that, like that there was a decree that Jesus Christ would be slain before the foundation of the world. Man's response to that doesn't change that. That's an that's a unconditional decree. Uh, another decree is the fullness of time when God would send forth Jesus. Um, 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 the the, full, the uh, uh, unconditional decree is I will never let it flood again, but I will burn it with fire. All right? That's an unconditional decree. A conditional decree has in it a sense of if. Uh, if. And, and, and now, now, now what, 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 what means is, is God, when he does that if, he does set in motion the way he's going to judge. But what he does powerfully is he gives leg room and time by his power to help men to repent, and men repent during that time of the if statement. It's interesting here because this is not an if statement that, that the, the conditional nature of the decree is left in ambiguity, which lets you know it's a conditional statement. Usually an unconditional decree is something that doesn't call man to anything. It just announces it and the prophet rolls out. And so what God has given us a season of whenever he's calling you to repent, he's calling an unconditional divine statement to bring you back to him to bring you back to him. And so he says, maybe the Lord will turn. Now let's talk practically about repentance. What is, we talked about repentance divine, meaning a turning to God from sin. Now let's lay this out practically. What are some, what, what is repentance, what are some other ways that repentance look like and what is the nature of repentance? 
I, I, I got in Hokema and I got in uh, Thomas Watson, Hokema, his book on um, um, Saved by Grace and um, Watson's book on, on um, um, the doctrine of repentance and some other materials, especially the scriptures, but also kind of coined it based on all of that and laid all of this out. The repentance has three aspects, three aspects, stay with me, intellectual aspect, intellectual aspect. True repentance involves first knowledge of the holiness and the majesty of God. If consequences are the first thought in your mind, it cannot be true repentance. True repentance comes from knowing that God has beastly character. Recognition of your personal guilt as a violation of God's will. Understanding the mercy of God and his willingness to forgive, Isaiah 6, 5. Under that intellectual aspect, there are three things. Thomas Watson says, seeing your sin. I like that. In other words, clearly booking yourself like the police would of your own sin. In other words, this is my, I'm not pleading no contest. See, no contest is what you plead when you know you're guilty and you know you can't get, because you know we always say, I can get out of the ticket. That's so sinful. You're going to sin, then say, I'm going to get out of the ticket. That's sinful. You know what I'm saying? Unless they got a means to help you to lower the cost, keep the point. But, but in a, in a, that's a whole other story. Seeing your sin. Sorrow for your sin. Psalm 38, 18. And 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Godly sorrow leads to what? Repentance. Confession of sin. Confession of sin. So see, under the intellectual aspect, seeing your sin, sorrow for sin, confession of sin, 1 John 1. 9. If we confess our sins to God, he is what? Faithful and to do what? And to do what? Of all unrighteousness. You need to get chapter 2, verse 1 of your system. And if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus. Not just confession. Confession without Jesus is just talking. Amen. I like C.J. Mahaney, what he says about confession. He says, when I have sinned against someone, a certain confe a, a, a sincere confession is required. A confession that is sincere and pleasing to God will be specific and brief. He says, I have learned to be suspicious of my confession if it's general and lengthy. A sincere confession of sin should be specific. I was arrogant and angry when I made that statement. Will you please forgive me for sinning against you in this way? In this way. Now, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's not the right place to say that. Shouldn't involve long talking, running your mouth, bumping your gums. Chattering your cheeks. He says, when I find myself adding an explanation to my confession, I am not asking for forgiveness, but instead appealing for understanding. In other words, you want to lighten the impact 
of how people view you and people treat you. But when you've really repented, you know you've repented to God and you talk to others and you entrust yourself to the one who judges righteously and let him deal with how people treat you. Oh, I wish somebody would hear me today. He says, if my so-called confession extends beyond a very specific acknowledgement of my sin, sentence or two, now paragraph, then I am most likely excusing my sin and requesting understanding rather than sincerely asking forgiveness because of my sin. So I have learned to be suspicious of any confession of sin that is lengthy. Genuine conviction of sin is evidenced by sincere, specific and brief confession of sin without any reference to the environment, to the circumstances, or the participation of anyone else. When I sin, I am responsible for my sin, and the cause of my sin is always within my heart and never lies outside of my heart. <laughs> Do you hear that? Say, let no man say that he's tempted of God. God tempts no one. Each man is tempted when he's carried away by his own lust. You, me. The sun can't set you free until you admit the thing that will cost you your freedom. Emotional aspect. The emotional aspect of repentance. There's the intellectual, emotional, and volitional parts of repentance. Emotional. I'm going to close this down. I know I've been a while. There must be heartfelt sorrow for the sin itself. This, this is the feeling and passion aspect. Not just for the results of sin. Godly sorrow, as discussed, of course, in 2 Corinthians 7.10, worldly sorrow only involves consequences. Godly sorrow, godly sorrow for the breach of community with Jesus. If joy is missing, our repentance is incomplete. The, the joy is rooted in forgiveness from God through Jesus Christ. A sense of enablement to return to practice righteousness and community with other believers. Under that is a hatred of sin. See, when you repent, you don't just hate what you did. You hate sin in general. If you hate just what you did, and the feeling it gave you and the results. That's not, see, true repentance begins to look at sin in general, even though you confess a specific sin. Because when you turn to God, you have to turn to him wholeheartedly in the passions of repentance. And so in the middle of that is the emotional aspect where we begin to have a practical hatred for sin. We don't like sin anymore. Finally, volitional aspect of repentance. That has to do with the will. There must be an inward turning from sin. That means you must turn from it. That means you must stop. That means you must shut it down. That means you must fade to black. That means it's over. Turn. Turn. Turn and repent. And it said it's seeking of forgiveness, but, but, but also a change of purpose and motivation. The inward change must reveal itself outwardly. When you've repented, your entire disposition changes. I don't know about you, but when I walk in a hidden sin, my life gets gloomy. 
And, and, and it seems like when I get before God and try to do devotions, he doesn't meet me in them. I'm reading about stuff that got nothing to do about what I'm guilty of. That word is a light into my feet and a light into my path. Man, that's a good word, God. But I'm sinning over here. I'm praying about other stuff, but not zooming in. Avoidance. And so here it's talking about turning from sin. Ezekiel 14, 6. So what are some signs? We've seen in the text some practical signs of repentance. But let me, let me talk about what are some key and clear signs of repentance. You know, one of the things that we have as a relationship, those who know Jesus, a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're called to abide. Abide is not something, abide is just by virtue of being in relationship with him. But we don't sense the remaining of that relationship when we have systemic sin in our life. So when the Pharisees came to get baptized, they came down to the water Jordan, and, 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 and John the Baptist looked at him. He said, you brood of vipers. Who told you to flee the judgment that is to come. He's, but he says something I've always, that's always stunned me. And this is the key. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit. Fruit is the ID card of the fact that you're in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, what does the ID card look like? It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. Now let me talk about that fleshed out in relation to repentance, then I'm out of the way. To bear fruit in keeping re repentance means there is one big fruit that has deep compartments in it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, um, and self-control. When you have truly repented, God restores a sense of pragmatics in your ability to apply these things and experience these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I hope you haven't checked out because the first thing you get is you get a sense of love, able to unconditionally love again. When you aren't repentant and your soul is bitter, you, got, you, you always got appendices and endnotes to what it means. If you do this, then I'll... Now, unconditional love returns. Joy returns. Joy, ain't like, like Pastor Doug talked about last week, isn't just, isn't situational. Joy is immovable satisfaction with Jesus. It returns. It floods you. Peace, a comprehensive sense of wholeness. Even though you know you're not perfect, you know you've gotten the, the thing out of the way that's key to you exp experientially experiencing everything that God wants to flood your soul with. Some of us aren't getting our souls flooded with the peace of God because we haven't accepted Christ, but also because we haven't practically repented in our walk with Jesus Christ. Patience returns. Commitment to God's time, timing. A contentment in God's timing and having a short temper. See, when you're repentant, and you're, we underestimate the impact of sin on our souls because sin makes room and invites its other friends into there to hang out with itself. And that's why a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So patience, kindness, kindness, an attitude of graciousness towards those who seem to or not seem to deserve it. A return of it. 
goodness, the ability and willingness to be generous to others. Faithfulness. You're able to be dependable again. You're able to trust again and to be trustworthy and you're able to be loyal again. Gentleness, humility and meekness at the center is gentleness. Having a deep sense of your knowledge of your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Self-control, passions under wraps or passions under control. In other words, correct distribution of your passions. When you repent, I don't care how good your sin is making you feel today. I guarantee you that on every sin and temptation that's presented to you, he'll put chocolate cake on it, he'll put shrimp on it, he'll put salmon on it, he'll put steak on it. I'm getting hungry. He'll put fried chicken on it, potato salad. He'll put a beautiful woman on it. He'll put a six-pack dude on it. He'll put all types of things on the hook. But when you bite that thing that's against God, Satan hooks you. And when you're hooked, because you're still biting on the shrimp, when you're still biting on the sin, it's hard for you to feel the impact of the fact that you're hooked in. One of the things they say about vampire bats is when they bite you, they lick at the same time. They bite, lick, bite, lick, bite, lick, and they bite, and they're draining you of blood, slowly bite, and they lick so that you, you feel a little pinch, you're like, then they start licking. What they're doing is helping desensitize you from the fact that they're chewing you up and bleeding you to death. That's what sin will do to you. That's what the devil will do to you. But the God of heaven, if you return to him, he will remove the vampire Satan, throw him to the side, apply the blood of Jesus where there was leakage. There will be healing back in that spot. He will bandage you up and he will return you to the place where he had you. But you got to come to the cross today. 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 He wants to bring, he wants to, he's not going to bring what you want. He's going to bring what he wants. And I, you've been doing it your way for a while, fam. Stop it. You've been doing it for your way for your way for a while. Stop it. Run to Jesus today. Don't run to the bishop. Don't run to the building. Don't run to the broads or the boys. Run to the beauty of Christ. He's giving you. A, this is a warning to someone today. He's giving you an opportunity to turn. He wants you back. If you're here and you don't know Jesus today, he wants to buy your soul today. It's already been purchased. But you got to repent. You got to repent. You, I'm not ready. You'll never be ready. That's another excuse, avoiding repentance. He makes you ready. What's so powerful about God is God takes skillless people and gives them skill. He doesn't draft people that are likable and that are skillful. He only drafts those who have repented. And if you're a Christian today, maybe this is your first time back at church in a minute. Maybe you've been coming and you've been slipping out at the end. I pray that whatever you're hiding, maybe you're in deep community here. Maybe you just went through co covenant community. Repent. Don't turn to me. Turn to him. Father, we thank you for the power of the cross. The cross, the person of Christ, had to run this one a little long today, God, because I, 
really sense the need for us to be called to repentance. All of us. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, we implore you to turn away from your sin and turn towards Jesus. Repent. Repent and turn to him. And he will bring freedom to your life like you've never experienced before. He will bring emotional freedom, intellectual freedom, and volitional freedom. If you, if you want to trust Jesus Christ today, we have a card in the back, on the back table, in the lobby, right in front of the bathrooms. I want you to fill it out, put that card, put that card right in the little prayer box out there. We want to connect with you. We want to connect with you. Matter of fact, if you're here today and you've never embraced Jesus Christ as Lord, say, we're not talking about rededicate your life. Now, I always grew up in the church. That ain't saved. That ain't get, that's not trusted Jesus. If that's you, slip your hand in the air. We want to chop with you. Slip your hand in the air. We, we're not gonna, I'm not going to run it long, but want to want to connect with you. If you're here today and you say, you got me, I need to repent, slip your hand up in the air. Whether you're in the balcony, the back of the balcony, the basement, cry room. Amen. Father, we thank you for the power to repent. Although repentance cannot be done without you, you require it of us and put the responsibility of repentance on us. And so, God, may we have lives that are marked by biblical repentance. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.